right, we're going to look in 1 John chapter 5. I want to start a series of messages out of 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. Uh, tonight's lesson is just basically an introduction to those epistles of 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. Um, in 1st John chapter 5, in verse 13, it says, These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life and that you may believe on the name of the Son of God. It's a, a verse that we use many times for assurance of salvation. Uh, whenever I lead someone to the Lord, I uh, conclude the conversation with them by reading 1 John 5, 13, or quoting it to them. Uh, we are secure. That's why I wanted to uh, sing that song tonight, Blessed Assurance. And the assurance that we have is that we can know that we're going to heaven if we trust Jesus Christ as our personal Savior. And uh, John gives us that sweet assurance. And so John, we know, as you study the life of John, was the pastor at the Church of Ephesus. Uh, he would be the pastor later on. Timothy, young Timothy, was the pastor early on. And uh, now T uh, John was the pastor. Uh, we'll understand clearly these epistles if we understand a little bit about the character of the city of Ephesus and character of the church that was in Ephesus. And uh, I like what J. Vernon McGee said about uh, the church at Ephesus and the believers that were there. Letter A is just simply this. He said, there was an easy familiarity uh, with Christianity. And, uh, you know, people are familiar with what it means to be a Christian. Uh, but they don't always embrace everything that is Christian. And we, the second and third generations of Christians were present at the church of Ephesus. And that's why John, when he received the revelation of Christ, would write in, in Revelation chapter 2 and verse 4, I have somewhat against thee because thou hast left thy first love. And I, we talk about being a Christian and living the Christian life. It is more than just stating that we're a Christian, but is that living out the love of Christ in us and uh, towards each other and certainly towards our God. And so they had very easily were very familiar with what it meant to be a Christian. And John's desiring for them to go beyond that familiarity to a, a real resolve to be committed to the Lord Jesus Christ. The letter B there in your notes is just the high standards of Christianity made Christians different. Now, when John is writing 1 John and 2nd and 3rd John, now they did not want to be different from the world. And I just thought about that as far as where we are in 2019. We think now, things are all new, but the reality is there's nothing new under the sun. And the issues that we have to deal with in 2018 our 2019, uh, we, they had to deal with those same issues uh, in the lives of the apostles as they would uh, lead the church and guide the believers in Christ. And so Jesus did put a high standard of uh, expectation on what we were supposed to be or what his disciples were supposed to be in following him and fulfilling uh, the preaching and the gospel of Christ. And so uh, the high standards of Christianity made Christians different. And our commitment to Christ ought to make us different. We don't pattern ourselves after the world. We don't chase after the culture in the times in which we live. We follow after Christ and Christ alone. 
And so the high standards of the Christianity made Christians different. Letter C there, he, uh, J. Vernon McGee goes on to say this, persecution was not the enemy of, the, of Christianity. It was seduction from within. And uh, I, I was talking to someone the other day, and they were talking about America as far as where we're at as a nation and as a people. The reality is America is not going to be destroyed because of outside attacks. We're destroying ourselves from within. Uh, we're so divided and so hateful and so aggressive towards one another. We have, we've abandoned the very principles by which our nation was established. And the sad thing is, is oftentimes we're worried about the church ceasing to exist because of persecution. The danger of the church is not persecution. The danger of the church is the seduction to follow after the things of the world. In Matthew chapter 24 and verse 24, it says, Jesus said, And there shall arise false Christ and false prophets and shall gr show great signs and wonders insomuch that if it were possible that they shall deceive the very elect. And it's just, it's alarming to me how uh, people who have been brought up in good, solid, fundamental teaching of the word of God can be so easily seduced to chase after things that are in name only, in reference to being a Christian, but in practice is nothing but worldliness, and they're being seduced into that. Paul said this in uh, Acts chapter 20, when he was going to leave uh, the elders of the church at Ephesus in Acts 20 and 29, he says, For I know this, that after my departing shall grievous wolves enter in among you, not sparing the flock. Also of your own selves shall men arise, speaking perverse things to draw, draw away disciples after them. And Paul was concerned about it. John was concerned about it. Uh, the apostles warned believers about this uh, devastating seduction to be drawn away from Christ and drawn into the things of the world. And yet People ignore it, and they went right after it, and we're seeing it take place now in the days in which we live. And so J. Vernon McGee, many years ago, when he wrote in reference to this, hit the nail on the head, really, of what the problem is and what the difficulties are in living the Christian life. First John's built around three main themes, and we'll be seeing that as we go through and study chapter by chapter and verse by verse. Uh, first of all, the one theme that you see in John, 1 John is light versus darkness. And uh, Jesus, I mean, John said this about a Christian and following Christ. He said, if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another. And we think we can walk in darkness and have fellowship. You, you might develop a relationship. You might uh, uh, pull yourself away from the things that are revealed in scripture but really the problem is the difficulty is we are light Jesus said ye are the light of the world and we are living in a dark place but we no, no longer want to acknowledge that the world is dark and we wonder why we're not reproving the works of unholiness and unrighteousness and darkness is because we're not walking in the light of Jesus Christ. And John's going to deal with that, how light versus darkness. And then he'll deal in 1 John chapter uh, 2 and 3 with love that versus hate. 
and uh, he will confront the believers about how can you say you love God whom you have not seen, but you hate your brother whom you have seen. And uh, it, it's hard for us to live a life of de declaration of our love for one another, when our love for God, when we don't have a declaration and an example and commitment to loving each other. And so he deals with light and he deals with love. And then John in 1 John chapter 5, uh, chapter five he'll deal with uh, truth versus error. And uh, we, we live in an era in a time where, and it's been going on for years, where uh, people say it's more important to have love, it's more important to have fellowship than it is to hold on to truth. And uh, so many movements among Christians and so many examples of how uh, believers have lost their faith in Christ and moved away from the Lord is seen time and time again when you ignore truth. You have to have truth. The world imposes upon us uh, that there is no absolute truth. And the reality is, if there, is, if there really is no absolute truth, then how can you say that the word of God is truth? How can you say that Jesus is truth? I am the way, the truth, and the life. You eliminate the reality of absolute truth. And so the believers were being drawn away from their commitment to the Lord and each other because of their air of accepting false doctrine that was creeping into the church. We're talking about the first and second century of the church. That already there was false doctrine slipping into it. And you just look at all the false doctrine that goes on now uh, that is being willing to be accepted and how truth is being, will, being willing to ignore the truth of what God has revealed. And so three main themes Light versus darkness, love versus hate, and truth versus error. The Apostle John's writings give a summary of really of the Christian life. And uh, you can see in your notes we compared it. John wrote the gospel, the gospel of John. He also wrote the epistles of John, which is 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. And then he would write the revelation of Jesus Christ, which is the book of Revelation. And so uh, John's writings can be summed up and seen and studied in five books of the Bible. And uh, certainly we can do a comparison or look at a summary, if you will, of the focus or the intention of each book of what they presented about the Christian life. The gospel of John, Ephesus, was on salvation. You cannot read very much in the Gospel of John. You cannot get very far in the Gospel of John without coming to a very quick reality that John is talking about the way of salvation. I mean, you only get to chapter 3 and he's already, Jesus is already confronting Nicodemus about he must be born again. And uh, it's just a, an alarming thing that uh, Christ in chapter 1 of John, John deals with, they came to his own, but his own received him not. But as many as received him, to them gave you the power to become the sons of God, even to them that call upon his name, uh, believe upon his name. And so literally, John's gospel deals with the salvation. And our life as a Christian starts at that point in the gospel of John that we must be born again. And by be, having faith in Christ, uh, we are a believer, we are a part of the body of Christ, we are a part of the family of God. And so the gospel emphasis is on salvation, whereas the epistles, what we're reading and studying now, first and second, third John, emphasis is on sanctification. Now that's a bad word in present day Christianity. 
being sanctified. It's always interesting when I preach on sanctification, I always have somebody gets upset about it. But the reality is you have been sanctified when you trusted Christ as your Savior. When you got saved, you were separated from your sin and you were separated unto God. That sanctification will not be complete until you get into the presence of the Lord. And we are to continually, progressively living out the sanctification and the holiness of God in our life day by day. And that is what John is dealing with in 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. This is the reality. You are to be sanctified unto the Lord. And then Revelation, the emphasis of Revelation is glorification. Uh, what a day it'll be when we get in the presence of God and we receive our glorified body. Uh, what a day it'll be when we get in the presence of God and we're able to cast our crowns at his feet. What a day it'll be when we get in that presence of the Lord in heaven and uh, we're able to glorify completely and see the glorified Savior in front of us. And so John Gospel emphasizes salvation, the epistle sanctification, revelation glorification. That's a good preaching message right there. Amen. Uh, the Gospel of John deals with past history. When you read of the Gospel of John, John is talking about things that had happened in the past. He's writing about the life of Christ, the ministry of Christ, the teaching of Christ, the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. It's past history. Gospel of Christ, the Gospel of John is presenting things that had already taken place. Whereas now, the epistles of John, he is dealing with present experience. He's in, when he's writing 1 John, he's talking about where they are right then. These are things that you've experienced right now in how you deal with the darkness and how you deal with doctrinal error, how you deal with hate, how you respond to love. He's talking about this is what happens right now in your life. And so the epistles are present experience. The revelation is simply the future hope. And uh, as they live their life out for the glory of God in the present, uh, the persecution, the suffering, the doctrinal error, the consequences of living a, a holy life, they would have to suffer all those things, but they had a future hope. And so they would continue on irregardless of what they suffered in the present because of what was promised in the past and what their hope was that they were going to enjoy in the future. And the thing that keeps us going as believers in Christ is the reality is there is a place where God saved us. And there is something that God is doing in our life right now. And no matter what I'm going to go through or what I'm going to face or what I may have to suffer, I have hope for tomorrow because God has promised that I would have eternal life through faith in Christ. And so the Gospel of John deals with Christ died for us. And Christ died for us. And uh, certainly the past experience that John is revealing in the gospel is what Christ did for us when he died on Calvary. In the epistles of John, he's dealing with Christ lives in us. So the one that was dead and buried and rose again, now he's ever present with us. And he'll remind the believers about that because during the time of writing 1 John, the problem was there were those who were teaching that Jesus had not rose from the grave. There were those that were teaching that Jesus was not alive. 
Uh, and there was all these problems. Dr. Reynolds, Paul, the Apostle Paul would have to deal with the Thessalonian believers because they were spreading around that the resurrection had already taken place. And so John is saying, wait a minute, you need to realize that Christ died for us, but he is living in us. And that's why he said, I'll never leave thee nor forsake thee. He is always present with us. And then in Revelation, Christ comes for us. And, uh, and Jesus comforted his disciples in John 14. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. Were not so I would have told you. He said, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself. That where I am, there you may be also. The, the hope, the revelation was that Jesus is coming for us. And when John comes to the end of the book of Revelation, his cry is, even so come, Lord Jesus. In the gospel, the word is made flesh. In the epistles, the word, which is Christ, is made real. Because you can talk about what you believe in reference to what was written and what had happened in the past, but is Christ, the Word, the living Word of God, is He real in your life? And then, of course, Revelation is the Word conquering. And I'm thankful that Jesus Christ is the great conqueror. He is the one that overcomes all things, and I'm thankful that we can trust in the living God. So He is the conqueror. And so let's think about this. Let's just do a highlight of some verses in 1 John uh, just to get a sense of how John is helping us to understand uh, who Christ is and how we live it out. There's five purposes for the writing of 1 John. And notice, first of all, in verse one, chapter 1 and verse 3, it says, That which we have seen and heard declare we unto you, that ye also may have fellowship with us, and truly our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. So the, one of the purposes of John writing 1 John is that we might have fellowship. And notice the people of fellowship. He says, the things that we have seen and heard, we declare unto you that you, may, you also may have fellowship with us. That's the, the focus of fellowship of the Christian is other Christians. It, we go and connect with the world to be a witness and a testimony to the world. We interact with the world to try to lead them to Christ. But our connection, our fellowship, our association that we have in our life is Christian with Christian. That's why Paul said we're not to be unequally yoked with uh, unbelievers. Uh, we, believers are to find believers to marry. Believers are to find believers to associate with and identify with. And so he identifies the people of our fellowship. It is not associating with and connecting with the unsaved and the wicked. And listen, we have completely lost that in Christianity. We have completely ignored the reality that the close connections and the associations that we have is with fellow believers. It is not with the unsaved. 
uh, you, you just look on Facebook or you look on internet, any type of social media, and you see so much of a strong connection with Christians with people who are not saved. You see posted on the internet things that are, are ungodly and culturally worldly, and Christians are connecting with that. And we wonder why we're having a hard time struggling in our Christian life. It is because being saved and being unsaved is like trying to mix oil and water together. It's not going to work. And you cannot have it that way. You have to realize what your fellowship is. And your fellowship is the Lord Jesus Christ and people who have trusted him as their personal savior. So you see the people of fellowship. You see the power of fellowship. Because he says, and truly our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. It should be more important for us to maintain a sweet relationship and fellowship with our God than it is with anybody else or any other situation. Because if my relationship with the Lord is not right, if I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. How in the world can I experience the power of God in my life? How in the world can I enjoy fellowship with others if they do not have a fellowship with the Lord Jesus Christ? And so the people of our fellowship is us. The power of our fellowship is our relationship with our God in heaven and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Because, listen, it is the love of God, the redemption of God, the forgiveness of God, the reconciliation of God, moving in each of us that enables us to get along, that enables us to relate one towards another. And so we need to have this fellowship that we enjoy. And so John focuses on that in John chapter 1, 1 John chapter 1. In 1 John chapter 1 and verse 4, he writes that we might have joy. And uh, he says, And these things write we unto you that your joy may be full. I, I, just, I just don't enjoy Christianity that's sour and always sad and always angry and all this, that, and the other. I just, I don't, I don't like it. I like to be happy. I like to be excited. I like to rejoice in the things that God is. There is a personal joy. He says that your joy, a personal joy, uh, you ought, if anybody ought to be happy in this world, it ought to be the Christian. I, I mean, it doesn't matter what we face. We go through kinds of trials and difficulties or whatever we may have to face. But wait a minute. There's still a God in heaven who is in control of everything. There is a Savior that, that delivered us from the bondage of our sins. There is new life that we enjoy because of who our God is. And then we ought to be happy and excited about it. We shouldn't be walking around sour and mad all the time. He said, I'm writing to you that your joy, your personal joy, might be full. So mutual joy. He says, oh, uh, we write unto you that your joy might be full. And he's dealing with this reality of our joy personally together. Uh, that's why I like 2 John in uh, verse 12. says this, having many things to write unto you, I would not write with paper and ink, but I trust to come to, unto you. And speak face to face, here it is, that our joy may be full. So we ought to think about how happy are you in the Lord? 
And not just about how happy are you in the Lord, but how happy do you make other people in the Lord? People ought to be happy that they're a Christian. I'll tell you, sometimes I preach up here. I mean, it looks like people came to church sucking on a lemon. I'm telling you, you try to get people to smile once in a while. And uh, you might have had a rough this week, but wait a minute, you're still on the winning side. And we ought to be happy, we ought to be excited, we ought to present a joy that is exciting and it's powerful because of the move of God so that we might rejoice together, our joy might be full. And so he deals with 1 John that we might have fellowship, that we might have joy. And then in chapter 2 of 1 John, in verse 1 and 2, that we might not sin. That's why he's writing this book. In uh, 1 John chapter 2 and verse 1, My little children, these things write unto you, that you sin not. And if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous, and he is the propitiation of our, for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. And so he's writing this book that we might not sin. He is not writing in reference to sinless perfection, he is writing in reference to our ability to overcome sin. He's at the admonition is simply this, that we strive not to sin. We do not have premeditated sin. We just don't decide that we're going to go out in sin. And so the admonition is, wait a minute, God has saved you. God has delivered you. God has given you this fellowship. God has given joy in your heart where sorrow and sadness was. But now realize this, God has given you victory over your sin. Why? Because he is the propitiation for our sins and not just ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. And so the appropriation, the reality is that we have an advocate with the Father. We have a lawyer who intercedes on our behalves, and it's the Lord Jesus Christ. So the appropriation of forgiveness, the appropriation of power, the appropriation of deliverance comes from the Lord Jesus Christ and Christ alone. And so John wants them. He's challenging them. And realize this, he's writing to the Christian now. He's not writing to unbelievers. He's writing to the Christian. And so he says, listen, this is why I'm writing it, that we might have fellowship, that we might have joy, and that we might not sin. And I just wonder sometimes, is it because of the fact that we have too much sin in our life that we can't have the joy of the Lord? You can't have it both ways. You know, being a Christian isn't Burger King, have it your way. Being a Christian is I'm trusting in the living God and I'm following his word and his example uh, that I might have joy and I might have fellowship and I might not sin. But he also writes in verse chapter 2 and verse 26, the purpose of 1 John, going along with that thought, is that we might overcome error. Uh, 1 John chapter 2 and verse 26, these things have I written unto you concerning them that seduce you. And John is telling them, wait a minute, I want you to understand there are those that are seducing you. Paul would tell the Galatians, I marvel that you're so easily removed. I marvel that you so quickly abandon Christ. And how quickly we are willing to abandon our Lord in reference to uh, uh, the trends of the day. 
Notice the heir of the day and the instruction of John he deals with in this matter. What was the problems in the days when uh, John was writing? Number one was just simply this. Matter, what was considered by the world, considered by the unsaved, matter was evil. So the conclusion was thus, thus, Jesus did not come in the flesh. The way they were reasoning the, the, and uh, discrediting the reality of Christ being God in the flesh because they were teaching that matter was evil. And if matter is evil, then how can Jesus take on a robe of flesh that is evil and be God at the same time? And, uh, and, and I'll tell you, that's going on in a different tone, in a different explanation, in a different way today. But the reality is, is man, man looks at the world and looks at it through the prism that there is no way that God could become man. But the, listen, the foundation and the basis of what we, our salvation is built upon is the reality that Jesus was, in fact, Emmanuel, God with us, God in the flesh. And so that's what the error of the day was. Matter was evil, and Jesus, that because of that, Jesus couldn't come in the flesh. The instruction of John is very clear. Matter was not evil. The problem was matter is not evil. The world is not evil. Uh, substance is not evil. The problem is man's nature is sinful. When God created the Garden of Eden, every, after every day in creation, it says that it was good. Everything that God created was good. The corruption that came on the world was not because matter was evil. It was because sin, man's nature was sinful. And he disobeyed what God had claimed and what God had warned him of. And so, yes, Jesus Christ could be God in the flesh because the matter biologically that made up the fleshly body he lived in was not the thing that was corrupt. That's why he was born of a woman, not after the seed of man. He was born of the woman so that he would be born without a sin nature. And because he was born without a sin nature, it was not his biological matter of his body that made him evil so he couldn't become God. Or couldn't be God, I should say. So the air that was slipping in to the church was so corrupt that it was denying the reality of the incarnation of Christ. Jesus, number two, what was coming in, they were teaching that Jesus only appeared to be a real man. He wasn't a real man at all. Uh, that's why when Jesus died, many did not believe that he rose physically because if he wasn't a real man how could a not a man who's not a real man arise out of the grave in a body john teaches us as we're going as we'll be going through first john that jesus had a real body and died and rose and that's that's why where we started out there you know john said the things that we have seen and heard declare we John saw the body of Christ. It was John who laid on the bosom of Christ. 
It was John who witnessed the resurrection of Christ. It was John who was present when Jesus confronts uh, Thomas and says, here's my hands and here's my side. Thrust your fingers into my hand. Thrust your hand into my side. John, the things that he heard and the things that he seen, the air was, well, he appeared to be a human being. He appeared to be a man. But the reality is John said he was real. I saw him. I touched him. I ate with him. I prayed with him. I watched him ascend into heaven. And so John's setting the record straight that Jesus Christ is the Son of God in Israel. People today want to disclaim the reality of who Christ is, whether it be Muslim or whether it be Mormon or whether it be Jehovah's Witness or whatever they be Catholic or whatever the religion is. You put the name next to the reality of what they're teaching is that Jesus Christ wasn't really God. No, in reality, he was God in the flesh and was all points tempted as we are yet without sin. The air of the day when John was writing 1 John was knowledge of truth was more important than living the truth. Boy, I, I read that and I thought to myself, there's a lot of churches claim to be Christian churches who all they focus on is, well, you need to know the Bible, but it doesn't matter how you live. Let me tell you, that, that, that's not anything new. That's been around for hundreds and thousands of years it's been around. Oh, knowledge of truth, that's what you need. That's why they were ever pursuing wisdom, ever pursuing knowledge, but never coming to the reality of what truth is. If all you're doing is studying and pursuing knowledge without that knowledge affecting your living, You'll never comprehend the reality of truth. John taught, it's not enough to say we believe, we must live it. And I'm telling you right now, in 2019, the reality is, is believers need to stop saying we believe and start living it. When there's something that's corrupt and wicked around you, you don't partake in it. And trends go on in the day in the days in which we live, you refuse to follow after it. You take a stand irregardless of what you may suffer or whatever you may go through, or whatever consequences you may faith, face, because it is not enough. It's not enough in 2019 to say, well, I'm a believer. Prove it to me. James will deal with that. He says, some say they have faith, some say they have works. Show me your faith by your works. Stop saying it and start living it. Our young people, our young people need to learn that it is not enough to say, oh, I, I prayed a prayer and asked the Lord to save me, and they live like the devil. It's not enough. There's got to be more to it. And what was creeping into the church in the first and second century, John had to deal with, oh, oh, well, you don't have to worry about how you live. You don't have to worry about what you're doing. Just as long as you're memorizing Bible verses. Well, John will also deal with the error of his day. The error was simply this. Only a spiritual few could understand spiritual truths. 
You know, some, you know that's, that, the whole Catholic Church came about because of that foolishness. You have to have the priest interpret the Word of God because you can't read the Word of God because you can't understand the Word of God. So you need somebody to interpret for you. A whole cult that developed that has affected the world for centuries that is called the Catholic Church. And it has sent multitudes of thousands of people to the pits of hell because of the fact of the, the lie that Satan develops that this is what you need to do. You need to realize there's only a few spiritual people who understand. And you need them to help you understand. John taught that every Christian has an unction from God and can know the truth. In chapter 2 and verse 20, John said this, But ye have an unction from the Holy One, and ye know all things. I'm telling you this, the Holy Spirit of God is the unction that we have. The Holy Spirit of God is the one who compares spiritual with spiritual. It is the Holy Spirit of God who penned for us the word of God and led men along to write down the word for us. It's the Holy Spirit of God that is our teacher and who will bring all things to remembrance when we need to know what we need to understand. We have an unction that comes from God and bless God believers all to start pursuing the unction of God. Christians of old, writers of old, believers of old, missionaries of old, preachers of old depended completely on the unction of God. We've allowed the false teaching of the charismatic movement to shy us away from talking about the Holy Spirit and the reality is that we must have an unction that comes from God so that we might understand and know the spiritual truths God wants to reveal to us. Woe be the person that comes along and says, you can't understand the word of God. People say, well, you know, you need to take and use other versions of the Bible because children can't understand the King James Version. That is a lie of the devil. I have not seen one child in 30 years of ministry that I have opened this King James Bible up to and started reading the verses to them that couldn't understand what the Bible said. Not one. Not one. That's a lie out of the pit of hell to get people to think that the word of God is not significant and it's not important. And you can't understand that. So you need to stop reading that and read this. I'm going to tell you, my dad only went to the ninth grade. And I'm going to tell you, my, my cousins were... Jehovah Witness, and they would come over to my dad's house, and I'd see my dad as an unsaved man. He wasn't saved yet. I would watch my dad as an unsaved man sit at his kitchen table till 2 and 3 o'clock in the morning, opening up the Bible that he didn't even understand how to be saved, and going from verse to verse to verse, refuting the Jehovah Witness in their air. Don't you tell me you can't understand this book. If somebody's got a heart and a desire to know what's in the word of God, God will speak it to you if you open it up and read it. We need an unction from God. Well, the last thought, John and 1 John, I'm excited about this book. I can't wait to get into it. In chapter 5 and verse 13, we were read, notice uh, that he wants us that we might have the assurance of salvation. Letter A, focus on the written word. 
John says, these things have I written unto you. Focus on the written word. Over the years, I've had people say, well, nobody can really know for sure. I can't. These things have I written unto you. I'm not going to depend my salvation on how I feel. There's some days I feel pretty rotten. I'm not going to depend my salvation on relationships and fellowships that I have because sometimes people get mad at me. That's hard to believe, I understand. So I have to focus on what the Word of God says. Faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. Focus on the written Word. Focus, I have written to you, and then have faith on the Son of God. Notice these things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God. He didn't say, I've written to you that are a member of XYZ Church. He said, I've written these to those of you who have trusted, you believed, you received Christ as your Savior. I have assurance of salvation because of focusing on the written word by faith in the Son of God and then the foundation that is secure. That ye may know that ye have Eternal life. I'm glad when I got saved, God gave me eternal life. He didn't give me temporary life. When I got saved, I'll tell you what, I had a lot of things, had to, issues I had to work out in my life. But I'm going to tell you one thing right now. When I made mistakes and I did wrong and I failed over the years, I never lost my salvation. I remember this jo uh, well, a lady in, my, in the airport in, in Michigan. Uh, she was a dispatcher out of Detroit Airport. She was a... Uh, Nazarene. She was a Nazarene. And uh, I remember she always told me, she said, I'd come in and she was like, you Baptists. I always like it when they start like that. You Baptists. You know, you watch t the televangelists on television. Who are they always mocking and making fun of? The Baptists. You Baptists. Oh, you must be a Baptist. You're not dancing in the aisle. You must be a Baptist. You don't drink. You must be a Baptist. I feel like shouting out loud or loud enough from my house or wherever I'm at listening to it. Yes, you're right. I don't do those things. She used to say, you Baptist, you Baptist, you believe in that once saved, always saved. I told her, I said, well, let me ask you something. How many times did you get saved? She said, what are you talking about? I said, you're not going to tell me you're sinless. So if you, you committed sin, you lost your salvation. And I said, how many times have you been baptized? Oh, 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 one time. You only get baptized one time. Well, the Bible says, one Lord, one faith, one baptism. You only get baptized once. I said, yeah, but what happens if you sinned and you lost your salvation? You're supposed to be baptized after salvation, not before your salvation. So every time you sin, you lose your salvation. You need to repent and believe and be baptized as a testimony that got saved over again. You're going to have to do that about 20 times a week. And she got so mad at me. I remember my wife and I were up in Oak Hurst starting a church. Knocking on doors, going soul winning. And there was a young couple, a beautiful young couple. And we went in and I got talking to the husband and I led the husband to the Lord. The, girl, the wife said she was saved. She said she was a Christian. Watch out when people say I'm a Christian. Because they don't know what it means to be saved. So don't, don't accept that. I'm a Christian. So anyway, I'm witnessing to her and witnessing to him. Asked him if he, died for sure, if he knew for sure he'd go to heaven. He said no. He was a Catholic. 
And so I went through the plan of salvation. I mean, he was so tender. He said, I need the Lord as my Savior. And I went through the plan of salvation. He bowed his head, trusted Christ as a Savior. And I got done, and I looked over, and here was his wife sitting there crying her eyes out. And I said, what's the matter? She said, I don't know if I'm saved. You know, the church I grew up in said that we can lose our salvation, and you just told him that our salvation is secure. All he needs to do is receive Christ as his Savior. And I, I told her, I said, well, do you want to be saved like he got saved? She said, I, yeah, I want to get saved. And she bowed her head and trusted Christ as her Savior. She never doubted her salvation after that time. I'm just saying this. If we have our focus on the word, written word, and we have our faith in Jesus Christ, then we have a foundation that cannot be shaken because it's upon the rock, the living word of God, the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, I hope that was a blessing to you tonight. Uh, we're going to go through each chapter verse by verse, and it'll, it'll be an exciting time as we study the epistles of John. Is there anything that we need to add to the prayer sheet?